This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At Joy 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you. Today is Friday the 20th of March, 2020. Welcome to the Informer Daily. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Tonight, your daily COVID-19 update. We hear firsthand about what's going on in our schools. Part two of our interviews about culturally diverse LGBTIQA plus people and inclusion in workplaces. Staying at home this weekend? You can stream a live drag performance on Saturday. We talked to Bathsheba about the event, changes in the drag scene, and the increasing number of AFABs assigned female at birth drag performers. We also speak to the original venue, Pride of Our Footscray, about what's happened and how they're supporting their employees. And looking to uh, relieve some tension, if you're hooking up this weekend, we've got some advice on COVID-19 and sex from Thorn Harbor Health. But first, this update. This is Dee Mason with the Joy News COVID-19 update for Friday the 20th of March. The number of confirmed cases of coronavirus in Australia has surpassed 700 and a seventh person has died overnight. Queensland recorded an additional 50 cases in one day, three times the previous daily record of 16. New records for daily case numbers have also been set in Victoria and Western Australia, with states recording 29 and 17 cases respectively. Meanwhile, New South Wales' daily count of cases has fallen for the first time in eight days, with 40 new cases confirmed yesterday, down from 57 on Wednesday. Australia's borders will be closed off from all foreign travellers, including temporary Australian residents, tonight beginning at 9pm. Foreign Minister Maurice Payne said that there are hundreds of thousands of Australians currently outside the country, including 5,500 on cruise ships. All Australians who fail to arrive in Australia before the borders close will be required to seek consular assistance to return home. All non-essential people entering Tasmania from interstate will be required to self-isolate for 14 days. Premier Peter Goodwin has said the state will be performing spot audits on individuals in quarantine to ensure they are meeting their obligations. Tasmanians in quarantine should also expect to receive daily text messages and calls offering updates and support. Small businesses impacted by the coronavirus crisis will be able to defer their loan repayments for six months under a plan put forward by the banking industry. Australia's small businesses collectively have $100 billion in loans and this bailout could put $8 billion back in their pockets, according to the Australian Banking Association. Media organisations across the globe are beginning to drop their paywalls on coverage of coronavirus in order to broaden the access to information. Mental health app Sanvelo has also made their services free for the duration of the coronavirus crisis. 
Internationally, there are over 240,000 coronavirus cases. Around 10,000 people have died and more than 87,000 people have recovered. If you suspect you may have the coronavirus disease, contact the dedicated hotline at 1800 675 398. For additional information, call the Coronavirus Health Information Line on 1800 020 080. You're listening to The Informer Daily on Joy 94.9. There's been a lot of debate about whether or not schools should be open right now. Clayton Wimshurst works in the education sector and filed this report. Facing an uncertain immediate future, public schools have stayed open based on advice given to the National Cabinet over the past few weeks. Despite being open, most schools have seen a dramatic reduction in numbers. Despite being open, most schools have seen a dramatic reduction in numbers. Two separate western suburb schools have had numbers drop from around the 1,000 mark down to 600 or less, with in excess of 400 students being absent on any given day. Individual classroom numbers have dropped as low as five in some grades, especially in younger year levels, but even in some senior classes, a room of normally 25 is now just 10. On many campuses, parents are being asked to stay off-site, meeting their children at the gate. This has had various levels of success. Students are encouraged to maintain a 1.5 metre social distancing from each other, but this is almost impossible to manage as students naturally like to spend time with each other and share learning experience continuously. Teachers themselves have a general feeling of being in a holding pattern, torn between running the current curriculum and preparing for schools to close by developing new online learning opportunities. In moving to online learning, teachers are quickly ensuring that students have access to places to communicate with teachers. In a lot of cases, this is a domain that teachers have been using for a while. But for some students and some teachers, this presents new and interesting challenges, not the least of which is making sure that students remember their password. Depending on the length of school closures, future issues will come into play, such as how to continue learning via an online platform, assessing students in order to report on what they have learned and more. The amount of family support will have a major impact on how successful remote learning is for students. Schools are also planning to help parents keep students active while in lockdown, how to explore their artistic side, how to engage students to learn about coding and design technology. The message from the government's health officials has been clear. There is no significant benefit to closing schools as the potential impact to society outweighs any benefit that might be. The conclusion that schools need to stay open so that grandparents are not made carers and thus exposed to COVID-19. Also, we need to keep kids at school so that their medical professional parents stay away from work to look after their children. At no point has the government discussed the importance of a child's education as the reason to maintain schools. This has meant that teachers often feel they are being the babysitters in this emergency. The general feeling that this is an economic decision rather than a health one. The students themselves are generally in good spirits and I think many of them are enjoying more of their teachers' attention than they usually would have. They are expressing concerns about the virus and talking about the rumours they have heard. Teachers are giving the students as much facts as they can and really focusing on the minimal impact the virus is having on younger members of our communities. Generally, honesty with kids has the most benefit in the long run. I spoke with two secondary students to get their thoughts. Both are from the western suburbs. One student wished to remain anonymous. My name is Lucas and I'm in year seven. I currently feel fine about going to school as I trust that my school will take all the action necessary to keep me and my classmates safe. Classes are currently the same at my school. 
but they're preparing us and telling us how to do our work if the school does get shut down. I'm not very worried about coronavirus currently because I know that the government is taking action to try and prevent it and soon there will be a way to prevent it better like a medicine. My advice to other people my age is to stay calm and trust adults and people around you. My grandmother is the principal of a school and I live with her. And because I live with her, I have no choice but to go to school because no one can care for me. My teachers are trying really hard to keep the curriculum the same at school, but because a lot of my classmates aren't coming to school, it's odd. Students engaging in learning from home will be an ongoing challenge for students, teachers, parents, principals and more. Hopefully, through a partnership, the impact of this ongoing crisis will have a minimal impact on their learning. This has been Clayton Wimshurst for the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9. The Diversity Council of Australia has teamed up with Pride and Diversity for a report into the experiences of culturally diverse people who identify as LGBTQ plus at their workplaces. The report summarizes a survey of 200 individuals who self-identify as both LGBTQ and being from a culturally diverse background. They found that a whopping 55% of respondents reported having faced negative experiences at work due to their backgrounds. These negative experiences can range from small things such as misunderstandings from well-meaning coworkers to much more pressing issues such as racism, homophobia, and transphobia. Informer reporter Nicholas Kamenier-Sandry spoke to the CEO of Diversity Council of Australia, Lisa Anise. Would you, first of all, introduce the listeners to yourself and tell us about the Diversity Council of Australia? So my name is Lisa Anise. I'm the Chief Executive Officer at the Diversity Council of Australia. And we're an organisation that conducts evidence-based research, um, runs events and delivers materials to its members. So we're funded by our members. We have about 640 Australian organisations, 30% of which are global multinationals. And we help them build their capability in diversity and inclusion across all areas of diversity, including LGBTIQ plus inclusion, but also gender, culture, age, disability and Indigenous identity. Uh, Diversity Council of Australia partnered with Pride in Diversity to release a joint report on workplace inclusion experiences of culturally diverse LGBTQ workers. So can you tell me about this survey? Yes, so we ran a piece of research the year before last called Our Tech Work and we were able to identify in that research what the experiences were like for the LGBT community in Australian workplaces and how comfortable people felt being out in their workplaces. But what we noticed from doing the research is that we really were reporting on the dominant experience, which is to say that we didn't look at the intersectionality of people. People don't just have one identity. They're, um, if they're part of the LGBT community, um, but they also have other facets to who they are. Um, their gender, their age, whether or not they have a disability, but in particular, whether or not they're culturally diverse. And so we were were interested in digging a bit deeper. There's precious little research that's been done on this group, particularly from a workplace context, and given especially that lots of organisations are focused on LGBTQ inclusion, 
we thought it was really important to get some information on how to um, approach it with an intersectional lens. So when you're talking about cultural diversity, what sort of backgrounds and cultures are you including under that umbrella? Well, we've taken a very self-deterministic approach and asked people to self-identify their culture because if you were to use um, sort of standard definitions like what they use at the ABS when they do the census, you actually get a, a very bland kind of um, identity, uh, grouping. So, you know, the ABS in the census only asks questions around, you know, where were you born, what languages do you speak, and what is your citizenship. Um, we wanted to dig deeper and work, ask people, well, how do you identify? Do you identify with one culture, with more than one culture? Is it diverse from the dominant Australian group? And then importantly, what's important about that, it not only gives people the opportunity to identify the richness of who they are, but it also takes into account the fact that other people will treat you differently based on how they identify you to be. So if you are, for example, a Lebanese Australian, but you lived and born and raised in Australia and you identify strongly that way, um, it still won't stop people um, from maybe making a judgment about you based on your name or your physical presentation. So that's why that self-identification process is really important in working out who we were going to um, talk to in this, in this survey. So this, um, I'm reading that the survey which talked to 200 people reported that 55% of respondents reported um, that the combination of their cultural background and LGBTQ status negatively affected their workplace experience. Can you tell me about some of the ways in which these people were negatively affected? Okay, well, the first thing to say about that is that there's no typical experience. Um, that for some people, the homophobia they experienced in the workplace was the most serious threat to their well-being, and for others, it was racism. So, and, and they rated things differently. And that depended on what kind of workplace they were in. Were they in a workplace where there was an Anglo-Celtic dominant group? Were they in a workplace that was predominantly culturally diverse? Culturally diverse? Um, so that informed a lot of the experiences around how people felt. But to, suffice to say that in general, people felt that the experience of being culturally diverse and part of the LGBTQ community presented unique challenges for them. Some of those challenges were about not being able to be open about who they were in their, in their non-work life. So they felt safer in the workplace um, than they did outside the workplace. Um, but for others, um, they actually experienced the reverse. They felt that being part of a culturally diverse community meant that even within their LGBTQ group in the workplace, that people made assumptions about them based on their religion or their cultural group, that they were less open-minded or that they were having some type of personal struggle with their identity. So there were both things at play, which is really interesting because I think um, a lot of people might fall into that type of thinking if you are culturally diverse and LGBTQ, that there is a, a natural conflict with that. And for some people, that's true. But for many, it's not. The conflict came 
because other people perceive them to be in conflict, if that makes sense. All right, no worries. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Not at all. Have a great day. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9. Welcome back. I'm Ariane Potts. With lots of venues, restaurants, and other places closing, there's a good chance you're going to be inside this weekend. With the normal venue closed, drag performer Bathsheba is hosting a live-streamed show at 8.30 tomorrow evening, free for everyone. I spoke with Bathsheba about the event and also about changes in the drag community. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm one of the regular hosts at Pride of Our Footstray, and I've been there for about six months now. And obviously, with different changes and people's... um, rightful fear around social isolation and being in public we've decided to go with a live stream show which is the first time we've done that so that'll be pretty interesting uh we've sort of decided to go full on alan or oprah or hey queen and make it a full talk show (laughs) and (laughs) when life gives you lemons you've got to make lemonade but it's going to be a lot of fun we've got a live singer coming on joshua sanders who's great, and I'm also hosting with Max the Queen, who people might know from Circuit and Piano Bar in Geelong. Mm-hmm. And we've also got a special guest who is Luke from The Gays Are Revolting. So he'll be coming in to talk about how people are affected mental health-wise by the COVID-19 virus, and we'll just have a general laugh about the weird times that we're in. That's quite an impressive lineup. Um, so how can people find out where... Or where can people stream this? So people can stream it on Twitch, which is a streaming app. And mm-hmm. we'll have all the instructions on all of our personal socials, as well as the Pride of Footscray. We'll provide links, et cetera, so people aren't floundering around trying to find that. So we'll make it pretty easy for people. Mm. And um, is it free? It is free. We'll also have a, a telethon element. <laughs> in case people do want to <laughs> make a donation to the bar. I'm donating a large portion of my fee to the bar, uh, just because if there's no bar, there's no me. Yeah. So I think it's the right thing to do. And yes, yeah, so it is a really, a really weird time, and we want to do everything we can to keep the arts afloat, uh, assuming that there's people who are quite sort of catastrophically affected by this. So we want to do everything that we can to make sure that this is only temporary. And we spoke with Josh yesterday, actually, about uh, Dial M for Murder, which has been cancelled. And, you know, he was really passionate about how to support the arts. It's um, most of my friends who are performers have had like 95% of their stuff just cut. So we didn't see this coming. And it's so sudden as well. So just looking at our calendars, it's from last week, like booked every day. Now it's pretty much tumbleweeds going through. So it's pretty bleak. I'm very lucky that I have a, a good support network. There's a lot of artists who yeah. may have moved from interstate or especially with queer artists as well, may not have a sort of stable network. So it's pretty bleak times. And I guess no one has a, a clear answer of what to do. So it's just little things and little ways to be charitable, I think, make a huge difference at this time. Yep. Um, and who is Bathsheba? <laughs> Bathsheba, well, I like to do shows around pop culture, so I'm quite known doing a little Freddie Mercury act. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like impersonating people like Madonna, uh, Lady Gaga as well. But um, yeah, generally, uh, I'm at the part of our Footscray, or I also perform at Queer Deluxe and Puff Still, so they're probably my regular 
gigs as well as I work with Closet and um, little stand-up festivals like that or like Blanky Pop. So usually in ordinary times you can catch me at any given venue, but I think everything's going to be online. Or um, next step is to sign up for OnlyFans. I'm not sure. So we'll see how that <laughs> yeah. goes. When did you start doing Bathsheba? So I started about three years ago. It's probably Bathsheba's three-year birthday coming up in May. Uh, but before that, I started performing arts and cinema. So I've been performing since I was about seven years old and just in different modes. A few years ago, I had a, a parody series about Lana Del Rey that went viral. And I think that's when my drag career sort of started to kick off, but didn't really kick into real gear about three years ago when a friend of mine and I started hosting RuPaul's Drag Race trivia. And then things just got quite out of hand, and here we are. And what inspired you to, to take on drag? I think it's, you know, anyone who watches Drag Race or is, you know, familiar with drag in general, it's really involved and takes a lot of work just to get on stage. Right. Yeah, it definitely does. I think I was very lucky where the ball started rolling quite quickly. But my advice to any new performer would be just to get yourself out there and be quite visible. I think with just with any job, being personable and friendly and being interested in any other performer's work will sort of cut you through. I think that the drag world is actually nothing like RuPaul's Drag Race in the sense that if you're shady or if you're sort of too opinionated or if you're bitchy, then you won't get a gig. So the best thing is just to be polite and very interested in the scene, like what you can contribute to the scene as opposed to what you can get out of it. Yeah, I think that's the real difference between Drag Race and the actual world of drag. Yeah, so that, you know, there's a nice community focus versus uh, creating entertaining television with drama. Absolutely, yeah. Well, there's no producers sort of manipulating us <laughs> to say anything as well. Uh, yep. And I think that the style of drag I've noticed, even in the last few years, has completely changed as well. I think for the better. I think there's a lot of young blood who work quite hard to, to do what they do. And I also like that there's a lot of AFAB performers around who are a lot more prominent than they were even a couple of years ago. AFAB is assigned female at birth. So they used mm -hmm. to be called bio queens, but now they're called AFAB queens. And some of them are incredibly talented. And I'm glad that they have a spotlight now where they just didn't a couple of years ago. So I think that's one way where we're really taking major steps forward. And I think even beyond what the U.S. is doing in terms of their drag community. So Melbourne really has a good scene going. So that's why we want to keep it afloat. Um, and what are some of your other favorite AFAB queens? Because I'd like to... Yeah, I really like Archie Arsenic, who is quite wonderful. They used to do a lot more burlesque, but now they've moved quite seamlessly into the drag world. Mm -hmm. uh, Misty Pickle is really good. <laughs> <laughs> so Misty Pickle is now um, a, a full-on rapper as well. So they've got quite a good good little career going. They've segued into music. They work a lot with Fembot. So that's, they're quite successful as wow. well. So there are, I think it's pretty much 50-50 now, where even a couple of Maybe like six months ago, it was probably like 75% um, sort of uh, regular drag queens and then a, a tiny proportion of, of AFAB queens. But now I think it's pretty much 50-50, mm. which I like to see as well. I, I just, this might sound shallow or deep, but I just look at the performer and I don't really think about the genitalia. It's just if they can put on a show and if they're 
they're great to watch. It's sort of where it begins and ends for me. But it's good to have visibility of all sorts of performers. That was Beth Sheba, who is organizing a live stream tomorrow evening at 8.30. It will be available on Twitch, which is available on computers, smartphones, and smart TVs. The show would have happened at Pride of Our Footscray, a community-owned bar. Pride has closed down, and Chief Bar Officer Matt spoke to me about why they closed and how they're supporting their staff. Pride of Our Footscray community bar... It does all sorts of live entertainment all week. Um, so we're never just open. We do live stuff every day. And that might be poetry or a dance class on uh, Tuesday or bingo or games, or bingo on Wednesday, games on Thursdays. We do bands on Fridays, bands hosted by drag queens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the traditional um, classic camp drag on Saturday. Uh, so there's... Basically, the the idea um, is how do you get all, all those things still in front of people? Mm-hmm. Um, and thank you to the miracle of the internet, um, <laughs> we, we thought we would, um, yeah, just just try it that way and broadcast pride to everyone that would otherwise hopefully have been there or other people that might want to. Um, I've always wanted to be, but have a, but never been. They can have a look online mm-hmm. um, or just people wishing to support the drag queens and drag kings particularly who are going to lose so many gigs. Yeah. Um, So it's just about, you know, um, keeping the spirit of the place around and trying to get some gigs for the, for the performers. Mm, That's, that's a really great way to support the community. Um, Is the venue open? Is uh, Pride of Our Footscray open? That's no, not at all. So, so we're, we're, so we've closed. Um, so last we were open last Saturday. That was the last day that we were open, um, and we had a bunch of people on the dance floor and the um, the stage dancing together. And I just looked at it, and it's just this is not social distancing. Um, yeah. We, the, the the way that we operate, we can't keep people <laughs> safely apart from each other. So so we're definitely closed. We spent a few days um, working on. Closing, how to close, and and how to look after the staff, and we've got two hundred part owners. It's a it's community owned in a sense. Yeah. Um, so that it's a bit of a um, it was a, a lot to go through, um, but we've worked out this is what we're going to do online for the performers. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to make sure that the casual staff get at least two thirds of their income for a month. So some places have had to let go their casuals immediately whereas we've sort of redirecting everything we've got to support the staff so Hmm. uh for a month at least the casuals will get two-thirds of their salaries and um i spoke with bashiba earlier and it sounds like there's also going to be kind of some kind of telethon element to the to the show which will help the performers raise money to cover their expenses yeah, it's kind of like it's so it's it's amazingly high tech to be able to broadcast live um with using a mobile phone, whereas in, in days gone by, you'd need, you know, 65 uh, people in a studio. So it's, the technology yeah. is pretty amazing. People will be able to watch it for free. I think a lot of people are going to be adversely financially affected, obviously, through this. So people can watch it for free. But if they do want to support the the performers and the bar, um, uh, they can make a donation. You know, like if you had a 1,000 people donating – 50 cents you've got 500 dollars, and that would be shared amongst the performers and the bar and and help support everyone for another week that was pride of our footscray chief bar officer matt finally tonight it's friday it's been a long week and now it's the weekend but what if you want to hook up 
Thorn Harbor Health have a fact sheet on COVID-19 and sex. And here's Nicholas Kamenyusandri with the details. With health organizations recommending social distancing, you might be wondering if coronavirus is going to be impacting your sex life. Open and free sex is a big part of the LGBTQIA community, and Thorn Harbor Health has created an info page to inform you of how you can take steps to reduce your chances of catching and spreading infection through contact with your sexual partners. You can visit this info page online at thornharbor.org. The info page, titled Sex, Intimacy and Coronavirus, lays out some strategies for minimizing risk of spreading COVID-19 through sexual contact. The virus isn't a sexually transmitted disease, however, it is mostly spread from the mouth or through skin-to-skin contact. While it is possible to lower the risk through practicing strong hygiene and making sure you regularly wash, as well as use soap and sanitizers, any mouth-to-mouth or skin-to-skin contact carries a risk of transmitting the infection. Thorn Harbor Health recommends minimizing the number of partners that you have during the corona crisis. Sticking to only one or two partners with whom you have sexual contact will greatly minimize your chances of catching or transmitting the virus. Beyond that, it's encouraged that sexual behavior should be limited to forms that don't feature physical contact, such as online sex and phone sex. If you're a drug user, you may be at additional risk of coronavirus, as regular consumption of recreational drugs, including alcohol, can weaken your respiratory and immune systems and make you more vulnerable to the virus. It's also highly recommended that you don't share drug vectors, such as joints, cigarettes, or other dosing equipment as this carries the risk of transmitting the disease. If you have symptoms of coronavirus, it's recommended that you see your doctor as soon as possible. We want to keep our community safe, so we urge all listeners to keep safe sex and social distancing practices in mind and encourage you to listen to health experts. This is a message from Joy 94.9. That's it from us this week. It's been a really unusual week. I propose that we go daily on Monday, and we've been on air from Wednesday. Um, each episode has been out. Each episode's been hosted from my lounge room, and then uploaded to the Joy ninety four point nine computers. It's been really fun and special, thanks to the incredible Joy ninety four point nine team, including Nicholas Kamenu Sandry, Emily Johnson, D Mason, Yunfei Wong. Clayton Wimshurst, Jordan Johnstone, Rachel Tyler-Jones, and Ange Berry. I'm your host, Arian Potts. We'll be back Monday at 6. Mahalo. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.